Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a Sideline Sleuth. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So in an effort to support survivors of domestic violence and speak out against it, every episode this month, both Solved and Unsolved, will focus on a crime or crimes related to domestic violence. The plan is to discuss some crimes where the victim was harmed or allegedly harmed by someone they were either with at the time of the incident or had been in a romantic relationship with previously. But there's a twist to today's episode. As you know, domestic violence is an issue that's very personal for me, and I think it's important that we talk about what these individuals experienced and bring attention to this difficult topic. Today we're going to talk about the 2015 murder of a man named Stephen Williams who was killed in Indiana. On March 10th, Amanda Bryan, Stephen's daughter, saw her dad for the last time, though she didn't know it yet. They had plans to see each other the next day, too, because Amanda was getting married at the courthouse on March 11th. She reached out to her dad that day, but got no response, and she had to proceed with her wedding without him. But what happened to Stephen after he saw Amanda on March 10th? Amanda said that she had seen her dad, you know, the night before, late on the 10th, because he was told that his wife, Opal Williams, had somehow fallen and was injured. So on the 11th, she gets in contact with Opal, and she tells her that her dad is missing. On March 14th, Opal officially reported her husband missing. I... What? So, so Amanda sees her dad on March tenth. On March tenth, and her wedding's March eleventh. March eleventh, the very next day. Yeah. So, and he's like, "I gotta go. My wife fell." Yeah. So and he like, like hurries cool. out of the house because his wife needs help, and so the next day is March eleventh. It's her wedding. She tries to call him. She tries to text him. She gets no response. At some point the day, she gets in contact with Opal, and she's like, "What's up?" And she says, "Like your dad is missing." But she doesn't report him missing until, until March 14th. 14th. I saw some reports that she actually like tried to report him missing three times. But apparently adults are allowed to just like... Peace out. Yeah. So it wasn't until like the 14th that it was like, okay, it's been several days. This man is obviously missing. Okay. Thanks for the recap. I need them. She told police that Stephen's last known location was at a Wendy's on U.S. Highway 31. She said that the couple had an argument, and that's where he drove off to following that disagreement. How would she know? I don't know. Unless, when my ex and I used to argue, I'd, like, blow his phone up after the argument when he took off, so I, like, always knew what was up. Or, like, also I didn't trust him at all, so I had a tracker on his phone, so there's, uh, Okay. He knew about it. I'm not, like, that creepy. Okay. (laughs) It's, like, the Life 360 app. Okay. So, three days later, Stephen's van was found by an Indianapolis Metropolitan Police officer near the White River in Indianapolis. At some point, investigators went back to the location where the van was found and noticed a significant amount of blood on the ground. They didn't notice it when they got the car? I don't think they realized it was a car belonging to a missing person. They just towed a van that was abandoned. And then later they, like, start connecting the dots. They go back to the site, and there's blood on the ground. And then there's also blood in the van. So something happened in or around the van. Oh, snap. On the evening of March 19th, the body of Stephen Williams was found rolled up in some carpeting under a bridge in the river. He had been stabbed to death. Oh, my gosh. 
So so someone stabbed him, rolled him under the river, and then moved his car? Yes. Stabbed him in his car, but moved yeah. the car. Mm-hmm. Shoot. Or there was at least some sort of struggle, struggle in the, the car. car. Yeah. Or they at transported him oh. in the vehicle. I don't know. I'm confused. But it went down, though. Something went down, yeah. And the van is involved. So, timeline recap. We just did this, but maybe we, we need to do it lot. again. Okay. So, <laughs> on March 10th, Stephen is told that his wife is somehow hurt. He's with his daughter Amanda when that happens, and he rushes away. On March 11th, he misses that same daughter's wedding. On March 11th, Opal tells Amanda that her father is missing. On March 14th, Opal formally reports Stephen missing. On March 17th, the van is spotted near the river. And on March 19th, Stephen's body was found under a bridge at that river, and he had been murdered. So that's like a nine-day window. This is from last seeing him to finding his body. And they think that he was murdered on that first day. So it's not yeah. like he oh, was yeah. alive for a while. Like he was, he was killed the night he saw Amanda. Yeah, because no one had heard of him. Yeah. Stephen and Opal had a rocky relationship. The couple got married in May of 2007, but reportedly they separated off and on, lived apart, and even saw other people at various points in their relationship. The couple was not together during parts of 2014. So remember, this is March of 15, so like right before this-ish, yeah, they, they were on the fritz. That's how I would have said it. Reviving again. So the two were living separate lives, and Opal even left the state and was living in Oklahoma for a little while, and they both were in other relationships. So Stephen had a girlfriend, and she had a boyfriend. Okay. Stephen filed for divorce. You know, they were separated, like, for most of 2014, and they were in other states. They were doing their own thing, so he was like, just like, let's make it it final. So they had a court date for March 9th, but sometime before that court date, Stephen withdrew his petition for divorce, citing that the couple had reconciled. So somewhere between December 15th and March 9th. But that's, the timing's weird, right? That is weird, like, because then he gets murdered on March 10th. Yeah. So it's like... They reconciled very quickly for things to then just turn around and go south. Yeah. So Opal moved back to Indiana, back in with Stephen, and they were trying to work out their issues. According to Amanda, Stephen's daughter, her dad ended the relationship that he was having when Opal, when he and Opal weren't together, and after they reconnected, he like completely cut it off. But it didn't seem that Opal did the same. She had actually reconnected with an old boyfriend a man named Ricky King. Anonymously, neighbors gave statements referencing multiple domestic violence incidents at the house over the years. Between Opal and And Stephen. So neighbors said that though they were saddened by the news of Stephen's death, they ultimately were not surprised by it. Some of the neighbors even said that they remembered seeing Stephen's arms in casts on more than one occasion. Oh my God. And admitted to seeing Ricky King hanging around the house, too. So that's the old boyfriend she reconnected with. So she moves back in with Stephen just to continue to run around on him with this. In his house. In his house, yeah. A neighbor named Sandy said, quote, They were nice until she brought other men in the house. That's when the fighting started. There was a lot of fighting going on there, end quote. So the neighbors are aware that there's some domestic issues. Stephen's been in casts before. So that makes it seem like Opal is the aggressor. Yeah. And I don't know. No no witnesses ever noticing her necessarily being injured. Yeah, there's no reports of her having visible injuries. 
And Amanda said whenever Stephen and Opal were going to reconcile, because Opal's not her mom, Stephen's her dad, that he was, like, crying about how much he missed her and he just wanted to be back with her. And then so they decided to work it out. And then in a very short period of time, he's killed. Yeah. Wow. She wasn't even living there and all of a sudden. It's like a couple days, Yeah, it's really fast, yeah. So Because it's not like he filed for divorce on December 15th and then she moved back in on December 16th. You know, like... yeah. So I'm not exactly sure how long she lived there before the murder, but all of it happened in the span of like three months. The filing, reconciling, and the murder. Okay. Yeah. But still 90 days is a really quick turnaround time to decide you love each other so much that you want to work it out, to decide you hate each other so much that you want to die. Yeah. I I think that it says something, too, that like she's bold enough to bring other men into the house. Into the house, yeah. Not really hide it. It's like you don't care. Not from the neighbors or from her husband. That's true. And if she's the aggressor, then, you know, like, what's he going to do about it? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I've most often seen men doing that, but, I mean, the shoe fits. Yeah. When I first introduced this episode, I said that there was a twist. In the other intimate partner homicides we've discussed, one spouse took or allegedly took the life of their partner. And that's not exactly what happened here. So what did happen to Stephen Williams And how does the volatile relationship he had with Opal have anything to do with it? Well, to start, you should know that Opal Williams did not kill her husband, Stephen. But she is responsible for his death because she had him killed. As it turns out, two men, Charles Lehman Jr., age 20, and Ricky King, age 56, lied to Stephen on the night of March 10th when they told him that Opal was hurt or had fallen down and needed his help. They lied to him to lure him out of his house and then somehow into a vehicle with the two of them where they took him to the location where they planned to end his life. And that's exactly what they did. There's so many sad elements to this. Like, the fact that they lured him out because he loved her and he just, like, he He was worried about her. And he thought she needed his help, so he, like, rushes out. And it was a setup. And then, like, I don't understand, like, do you want to be married to this guy or not? Like, you don't have to. Yeah, like, he was why, trying to divorce you. Yeah, like, why, why do you want to, like, what? Because he won't let you sleep with other men? Then go off and do your thing and sleep yeah. with other men. Yeah. And why are you guys involved? I have a lot of questions. I don't, I don't understand why Charles Lehman is involved, but yeah. we'll get to that. Um, so who are these guys, and why did Opal ask them to kill her husband? And why did they agree to do it? So... Charles Lehman is Opal's cousin, and Ricky King, as you may recall, is Opal's boyfriend that she reconnected with when she was all up in the crib. Yeah, it was all up in the crib, yeah. So (laughs) police believe that Opal is the mastermind behind the murder and wanted her husband dead because of infidelities he had committed throughout (gasps) their marriage, which seems hypocritical as hell. What? You have your boyfriend kill your husband because you're mad that your husband has a girlfriend? Or Or had infidelities throughout your marriage? You mean that he terminated in order to be with you? Yeah. While you still got Ricky. How are you mad that he, and he is like maintained that it was over when he and Opal reconciled. Yeah. And. But regardless. But regardless. Yeah. She was running around too. How are you going to kill him for doing something that you are actively doing? How are you going to kill him for doing this anyway? If you're not cool with it. Peace out. He Go was back tr- to he, where was she Oklahoma. At? Oklahoma. Yeah, Go back he was trying there. to divorce her. So, 
So they tell Stephen that Opal needs his help, right? So he leaves the house. Apparently, when he stepped into the front yard, Charles reportedly attacked him right then. In? In, in, oh, it was nighttime, but yeah, in his front yard. So it's like they were waiting for him. They called him from his own yard. Oh, yeah, biblical terms. Yeah. They, they were lying in wait. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so he, he attacked him in the yard, which I guess is how there was blood in the van, because he attacks him in the front yard. They get him in the van, the three of them in the van. And then they bring Stephen to the spot where he's going to die, and they call Opal on the phone. And the pair allows Stephen to make one final plea for his life to his wife. And they're all, yeah, and this is on speakerphone. So like they can, the two men and Opal and Stephen are in this conversation together. And Stephen apologizes to Opal and he begs her not to kill him. He begs for his life. Are you freaking kidding me, Megan? Like, how could you do that? Like, I got goosebumps just thinking about that. And you just... So he apologized for things he said he didn't even do, but Opal was accusing him of doing. And he was like, I have no memory of doing this, but like, if I did this, I'm so sorry. Like he was begging her to spare him. And she told him that he shouldn't have been sleeping with other women and then gave the instruction to Ricky and Charles to quote, do it, meaning kill her husband. And she knew she was going to do that the whole thing. Just let him beg for no reason. What kind of sick, twisted, that's like some like mob boss, yes. unnecessary like need to feel power. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. a sickness. Yeah. Come on. Definitely. If murdering your husband you isn't. hard, Opal. If murdering your husband isn't sick enough, listening to him die, letting him beg for his life when you had the intention the whole time to kill him. So. The whole thing, doing that whole thing on speakerphone is. Creepy. Ugh. Yeah. And then, I don't know, like, I just feel like. If I was going to be involved in a murder, but maybe that's why I'm not involved in murders because I'm too smart. I would want so many like degrees of separation. Like if I'm orchestrating it, I'm going to be like, and you don't know me. We can't have any cell phone contact. I need to be in a whole other place with some serious alibi. Like, and they're like, not only are we about to kill this man, but we're going to let our cell phones ping at the location that his body's about to be found. And and we're going to call his wife. Yeah. What the? Not only that, I'm going to call his, like, we're going to call his daughter. Who's going to be, like, we're going to call him while he's with so his has a, a some, witness. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he got a phone call, said this happened, and he rushed out. Yeah, they just, yeah. the, I don't know. Opal is the mastermind, so apparently Again, she's. No, it's, it's that cocky stupidity. Yeah. Like, are you smart or are you just. Yeah. Are you, yeah. Are you being bold or are you being an idiot? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they stabbed him and they rolled his body up in a piece of carpeting that they just found at the location. Stephen passed out at some point. Um, I'm assuming it was from blood loss. And then the pair slit his throat. But his official cause of death was from the stab wound to his chest, though he did have multiple other stab wounds and cuts to his throat and neck. He just, for no reason. For no good reason. Not that there's ever really a good reason, but. No, for for sure. But like, this this is just to what? Boost your sense of power control. And like, for Ricky, he's the boyfriend. Do you really want to be with this woman who is capable of doing this? To her husband? You yeah. Just the boyfriend. Yeah. That's, you're way yeah. more disposable. Definitely. And they've been married for almost eight years at this point. And no her, loyalty. It was really important to me to finish this month sharing the details of a man who was harmed in a domestic incident, which is how I came across Stephen's story. Women are not the only victims of domestic violence, and this is not a tragedy unique to the United States. So I want to share with you really quick some statistics and stories of male survivors 
because we don't talk much about survivors here. So I wanted to end the month doing that too. In the statistics for 2018 in England and Wales, 173 people were killed in a domestic violence-related homicide, and the killers were predominantly men. 73% of domestic homicide victims were women, and in the instance where the victim was male, in 61% of those cases, the perpetrator was also male. So the killers are predominantly men, because even when they're killing, and even when a man is the victim, the killer is still a man in more than half the time. I read a story about a man named Ashley Britton in England who was attacked with a coffee cup by his ex, Daniel Nielsen. When I read the story, I was horrified, but seeing the photos of the broken cup covered in blood is an image that will always stick with me. Ashley said, quote, Once the mug had smashed on my head, and then he continued to gouge at me, mainly the side of my face and my head, my hand with the mug. He had a broken shard of the mug in his hand still, and he just kept going at me with it, end quote. And the word gouge was like, yeah. oh, it just like hurt me to hear him, say, well, to read him saying that, like gouge, because I was thinking about like gouging eyes out, like yeah. you're like digging at somebody with something. Yeah. And he had like this bloody coffee cup and he was mm-hmm. digging at him with it. So Ashley lost more than four pints of blood and had deep wounds on his face, neck, and hands. Mm-hmm. Paramedics said that if even 10 more minutes had lapsed before he got medical treatment, that he would have died. Oh my with a coffee cup. With a coffee cup, yeah. Daniel was sentenced to nearly five years in prison for the attack, and now Ashley speaks out about the story to encourage other men to come forward. And the pictures are, like, scary looking to me, but um, I can share them on our social media pages if anybody's interested in reading more about Ashley's story. And then... There was a Dallas man named Joshua Miller who was quoted in a story for the Los Angeles Times about his experiences as a male victim of domestic violence and how when the police came, they initially handcuffed him and not his girlfriend. Wow. She had like, picked up a guitar or something and was like beating him over the head with it in front of their kid. And Joshua Miller said, quote, men are not looked at as victims. People say, a woman can't hurt you. Pick your head up off your shoulders. Oh man, that's nothing. But it's not nothing, yeah. end quote. It's not nothing, like really, truly. You especially do not like, put your hands on anybody. Else. If you if you love that person, you're not gonna want to retaliate. Especially if you know that you're bigger or stronger, which typically men are, not always. But you're not. You have a strength, maybe that it would cause more damage. You know, so like you don't want to hit them back. But oh a California pastor named Kenny Luck wrote a column for the Dallas Morning News where he talked about the stigma stereotypes and feelings of shame and embarrassment that men and women face as victims, but how like society expects you to be like the protector, the provider, so tough as the man. So then it's harder to come forward and be like, and this woman hurts, like hits me, you know? So yeah. I was going to, just before you said this, I was going to say, I feel like there's a unique like psychological torture yeah. or, About or like terror. the masculinity. And, yeah. Like, yeah. That comes from being abused when you're a man. Yeah. I recently read a story about a battered woman's shelter called Sheltering Wings in Indiana, where the story takes place, that started renovations to be able to take men in who are in need of a safe haven from domestic abuse as well. The shelter's board chairman said, quote, domestic violence is not just a woman's issue. Nationally, the CDC says one in seven men have experienced severe physical violence from an intimate partner during his lifetime, end quote. 
So the shelter hopes that along with closing the gap in safe housing that like between the genders, that having a place like this available will also help men come forward and speak out about their abuse. So in Dallas, we have a shelter called The Family Place, and they actually do counseling and stuff. My son and I went there after our incident a couple years ago, and they were one of the nation's first domestic violence shelters that also provided housing for men. And in 2017, there were only two shelters in the whole country. I think one was in Arkansas, and then the other one was The Family Place in Dallas that had shelter for men. So that just shows you, like, the disparity. Even the system, like, yeah, 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 doesn't recognize it. But since 2013, the government has also required all of the shelters who receive federal funding to also provide services to male domestic abuse victims. Many of them choose to put men in a hotel or something um, rather than have them live alongside the female victims who, because I guess they're already yeah. feeling vulnerable and scared. So, yeah. um, so they do provide services. They just don't house them together. But there are a few now, who like the family place, who houses them on site. Yeah. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, in the U.S., about 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner, which equates to more than 12 million men and women every year. Statistics show, like the quote said, that about one in seven men, or nearly 14% of them in the United States over the age of 18, have been or will be a victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner. And these numbers are not nearly as high as those for women, but we also know that intimate partner violence is underreported with women, so then even more so with men. So these numbers are unfortunately likely much higher for both. So Stephen's body was discovered, as you know, on March 19th. And at this point, we already know that he was reported missing by his wife and his vehicle was found and there was blood and stuff. So they already knew that something shady went down. Yeah, it's foul play. Yeah. So on Saturday, March 21st, while being interviewed by police, Opal Williams admits to working with her boyfriend and her cousin to kill her husband. She told investigators that she was at a relative's house, which actually ended up being the grandmother that she and Charles shared mm -hmm. while the murders took place. And both men told police basically the same story, that they lured Stephen outside by saying that Opal was hurt, that the pair drove Stephen to the murder spot, which Charles Lehman admitted that he had selected beforehand. He said it was a place he was familiar with because he used to live in a tent near it at some point when he was homeless. Ricky, Opal's boyfriend, admitted to holding Stephen down while Charles stabbed him repeatedly. Charles did it? Yeah, the 20-year-old cousin who seemingly has no motive or connection or explanation. Or need to be involved yeah, in this at all. Yeah. So... Charles and Ricky said that they called and spoke with Opal multiple times throughout the whole ordeal and that the call where Stephen begged for his life took place like on speakerphone, as we said. And one article from the Indy Star said that the grandmother was aware of what was happening. And, I was going to say. Yeah. And even told her grandson to, quote, do what you got to do. And <gasps> What the grandma? Like, what kind of grandma do you have? Because I have like a, from a weird stock. I, I have, have like a quintessential TV grandma, like cookie baking, apron wearing. Watching the Golden Girl? Yes. I have like she does crossword puzzles on her couch. Like the only thing that's not grandma Lee about her is how much she cares about football. Like okay. so she has some really serious sports superstitions. Mm -hmm. But otherwise she is like yeah. the perfect little grandmother. She's like SpongeBob's grandma. Yeah. She like writes recipes <laughs> on index cards and mails them to me and that's like she's so cute, like she's yeah. a grandma. She's not, you know, co signing murder. Grandma's two turns. Doing yeah. too much. I don't know what's in this going on. Trying this to connect to the youth too much. You got to back youths. off. Make them cookies. That's it. Yeah. Do some crossword puzzles. 
but wear an apron. Talk to them about what happened in your day, back yeah. in my day. Yeah. So we walked it. uphill to school both ways. <laughs> the trio said that they rolled Stephen's body up in the carpet and then pushed him into the river. But they were unable to drive the van back up the muddy river embankment, so they just abandoned it and then walked home from there. The following day, they, including Opal this time, returned to the spot to retrieve some of the items that they left behind. So she went to the location where her husband died while he's, like, dead there in some carpeting under the bridge in the river to get some things that they left. Because, obviously, even though this was so premeditated, it was, like, poorly done. Poorly planned. Yeah, Yeah, poorly executed. Like, oh, let's just use this carpet we found. Yeah, let's just, oh, we didn't account for the the van not being able to drive up the mud. We're also going to leave some items here. We're going to come back to the scene of the crime. Yeah. So premeditated. I'm sure there were fingerprints everywhere. Light. Yeah, probably yeah. so. They probably left the murder weapon. I don't know. I believe that Opal was the person who admitted to her role in the killing first, though eventually all three would come clean with the details of what they had done. Opal, Ricky, and Charles were all arrested and charged with either murder or conspiracy to commit murder. Stephen's son-in-law said, quote, Opal was the one who reported him missing. The whole time she knew. That's the most demented, psychotic thing to me, end quote. And I agree, but that also seems pretty common, where the spouses report them missing because it would look suspicious if you didn't didn't report them missing. But then when everything comes out in the investigation, it's like, well, you knew the whole time. So it's even weirder when they put on like a sob story for the media or something like Chris Watts, the guy in Colorado who murdered his two daughters and his pregnant wife. He did this whole like plea for their safe return. It was like real emotional on camera. And then whole time he like strangled them and disposed of their bodies. And mind trap or something crazy. Yeah. Wow. I think it was like an oil drum or something. It was something weird. Yeah, yeah. But like. It's, so it's weird when you report them missing and then you did it, but it's even weirder when you report them missing, which he didn't, a friend like alerted everybody to their absence, but like, and you put on the whole show of like, I just want them back and then you did it. Yeah. It's like a, it's sick. Stephen's family members weren't present at the sentencing because they moved out of state, but the prosecutor said they requested that Charles Lehman receive the maximum sentence possible. If you remember, he's the one who did the actual stabbing. Opal organized it, Ricky held him down, and Charles inflicted the wounds. Charles's public defender argued that because he has an intellectual disability and suffers from mental illnesses, that he should be granted some leniency from the courts. However, his sentence was comparable to the sentences that the other two people received. Even though he is the actual stabber, they were all like on par yeah, with each other. I just feel like he's a dangerous man. If you just yeah. get a whiff of murder and okay, I'll do it. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Just get a whiff of murder. <laughs> That's like in the top five best things you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> so. I still never figured out how or why Charles would have participated in the crime. Like, okay, Opal wants her husband dead because she thinks he's running around on her even though she's running around on him. But maybe she just wants him out of the picture so she can be with Ricky. So maybe that's what Ricky's thinking too. Like, kill off the husband, then we can be together. But, like, what does Charles stand to gain or in what way would he benefit? Yeah, unless him and Opal are super close and he's, like, upset about it, but I don't. But what did he do to her that he's upset about? Well, if Opal's telling the story that he's cheating on her. But she's cheating on him. Yeah, and obviously Charles and Ricky are homies, so. Yeah, but you, I mean, I just, I feel like that could be the only reason, but I yeah. don't see why you would, like, take the lead on it. Her yeah. boyfriend ain't that mad, buddy. Yeah, he didn't do, he just you held her relax. Down. 
Yeah. Well, you gotta maybe because go he was old. Like, Ricky's, like, 56. And Charles was only 20. So maybe they were, like, you have the young man body. You do the, like, the actual physical work. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think holding somebody down while they fight for their life is probably pretty strenuous as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-mm. All three people involved pled guilty, an act that the state hoped the family found some sort of comfort in. And I don't know if comfort is the right word there. I don't remember what word they actually used, but the killers, yeah, the killers didn't make them and everybody else endure a trial. So there was some sort of like peace to that, I guess. Maybe mm. peace is the word they used. But Charles Lehman pleaded guilty to murder in June of 2017 and was sentenced to 50 years in prison with five years suspended. A letter written by him was read at his sentencing, expressing remorse for his actions, asking for forgiveness, and apologizing for what he did. As part of the sentence, he has to undergo a mental health evaluation and receive treatment. At the time of his sentencing, he received 1,189 days credit for time served and good behavior. Opal Williams pleaded guilty to murder in February of 2016 and was given a 55-year sentence. Five of those years were suspended because of the guilty plea she entered. The charges for conspiracy to commit murder were dismissed. Opal's earliest possible release date isn't until 2052. And once released, she will still be on community supervision for five years and go through mental health evaluations and substance abuse treatment. But I don't know if she's really going to make it that long. She, she was a she's substance not, abuser? I'm, I don't know. That adds dimension to it. Yeah. Maybe that's why he was so mad. Yeah, maybe. maybe they all were. I don't know. I don't know. know. She doesn't look very healthy. That's me being judgmental. But um, I started I was, it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how old she was. She was certainly younger than 56, which is how old her boyfriend was. But I don't know. In like... Even if she, let's say she's she's not 30 right now, but let's say she's 30 in 2020. Even then she'd be 62. I mean, she wasn't 30 in 2020. So yeah. she's going to be in her 60s or 70s or something. I should have, okay. I don't remember how old she was. My bad. Ricky King pleaded guilty to murder in December of 2016 and is serving a 45-year sentence. I never saw any more mention about the grandmother's knowledge of the crime or anything happening with that. A representative from the DA's office said something along the lines of, it's hard to believe that so many people had knowledge of this crime before it happened, and yeah. yet none of them did anything to stop it. And we've talked about that a lot in our episodes, like what kind of relationships do you have with people that these conversations aren't immediate red flags and deal breakers? Yeah, yeah just like, so close. Y'all getting close out there. Yeah. Mm, I trust nobody this much, so which is probably good. That's maybe why I haven't been murdered. Yeah, so Or, yeah, committed any murders. Even if I didn't participate in the actual crime, the guilt alone of knowing it was about to happen or that it actually did happen would like eat me alive and I couldn't live with it. So I don't, I couldn't, I don't even know how I'd feel if I was actually an accomplice, but that the grandmother knew and Charles knew and Opal knew and Ricky knew and like they planned this beforehand. So at no point up until the actual stabbing or the luring him outside the house, did anybody be like, whoa, maybe we shouldn't do this? Yeah. Like, I don't know. When my friends and I have like dumb ideas, it's like, hey, let's go to this karaoke bar <laughs> and sing Wipe Me Down, which Chloe did do on, <laughs> on Friday. Not, nothing like this. Yeah, so, harmless thing. Yeah. This case was featured on an episode of Snapped. I think mo- huh. most people are familiar with what Snapped is, but if you're not, it Love is- that show. Me too. It's a true crime show on Oxygen, and each episode focuses on a different person- usually a female, who has killed or tried to kill somebody who is usually their romantic partner. So Opal was featured on season 25, episode 5, which aired in April of this year. And Are you joking? Snap's been on for 25 years? 
don't know if it's 25 years or if they do multiple seasons in a year. Oh, okay, but fair. yeah, fair enough. Oh, I think it's been I think it's been since 2004, so it's been like 16 years. Yeah, so. Opal and Steven's story was also featured on the show Fatal Vows, which airs on Investigation Discovery. Each episode of that show tells the story of a marriage or marriages that turn deadly. Their episode is called Bored to Death, which is in Season 6, Episode 13, and aired November of 2018. I actually didn't watch either of these episodes before I wrote this, but I probably oh, will now. Now I'm curious what, yeah, like, what their, their angle was. Yeah, like there's nothing going on in Indiana, so you kill each other. I don't know. I've never been to Indiana, yeah. but I mean, yeah, Ashley and Britt from Crime Junkie are from Indiana, right? So it can't be a bad place. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. Yeah, okay. so I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Indiana that they would call bored to death. But maybe we should watch the show oh. and find out. <laughs> Today, all three individuals remain incarcerated with the Indiana Department of Corrections, where they will all remain for some time. Yeah, the only ones probably getting out in his lifetime might be Charles. Yeah. Yeah, because he only got like 50 years, I think, or something, and he was 20 when this went down. So Charles could get out, which is terrifying because Charles is the stabber. He's the one that picks up on the sense. Yeah, he's the, he's the whiff of murder guy. Yeah. So if you are a victim of domestic violence, please know it is never your fault, and there are resources available to you, even if you are not ready or able to leave that relationship yet. If someone you know is a victim, be supportive by listening to them and asking how they're doing. Offer to help if you are willing and able, and tell them about the resources available to them, such as a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week hotline for domestic violence victims. They are there to help. The number for that hotline is 1-800-799-7233, or you can go online to thehotline.org. And in case of emergency, always dial 911. Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at facebook.com slash sidelinesleuths. And if you haven't already had the chance, please rate and review the show on iTunes, Facebook, or any social media or streaming platforms available.